We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, Nets fans. Disappointing night for us. Remember, find us at OGGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, all those places, Dash Radio, iTunes, YouTube. Uh, there's, I'm, I always miss out on one, Nick. You, I, blog Talk you, Radio. <laughs> that's the one, Blog Talk Radio. But uh, that's the voice of Nick Faye. Nick, how are you feeling, bud? I'm doing okay, Jack. It's been a rough sports night over here. Uh, you know, the Nets got killed by a Jimmy Butler um, almost buzzer beater three. And then uh, my football team, the Green Bay Packers, pretty much just got eliminated from the playoffs. So, no sour sports night over here, but I'm ready to talk some Nets. Yeah, at least you get to vent to me, and that's what <laughs> the best thing about the buzz is whenever we're feeling down. We have this outlet, so to speak, part of my pun, because you are a host of the NBA outlet as well. <laughs> um, but Nick, what went right? What went wrong? Uh, I mean, let's start with what went wrong, and then we'll get into the positives. Obviously, you know, the Sixers came back, and that's up as much as 20 in this game. And when that late third quarter and then the fourth quarter, they really took over, you know, Sixers won the fourth quarter 38-23. to 23. Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler just had big buckets down the stretch. The Nets offense went stagnant for a while. You know, they couldn't get D'Angelo shot who had a huge night, you know, arguably his best night in a Nets uniform, 38 points, uh, 16 to 28 from the field, eight rebounds, eight assists, almost a triple-double, only one turnover. So D'Lo was great. You know, the Sixers kind of uh, reacted to that. They started double-trapping him, and the Nets offense couldn't get going, even though Spencer Dillon had a great night himself, 31 points, 11 to 15 from the field, you know, four or five from deep. So the two guards had really good nights, but the rest of the team wasn't amazing. You know, Jared Allen had some good moments. There also was some bonehead moments from him as well. You know, Joe Harris and Allen Crabb struggled again from the three-point line. Rondé was in the starting lineup. He had some good energy, but not like a huge impact offensively. It's just like everything was going right for the Nets in that first half. And then late in that third quarter, the Sixers made adjustments and the Nets really couldn't uh, react well enough. 
Yeah, I remember on my lunch break today, I was able to watch it, and I was just like, man, D'Lo is feeling it. And, like, he was just nailing everything. Those mid-ranges that you normally consider bad shots, he was just hitting everything. The bank was open. Uh, it was just a wonderful night. It was awesome to see that from him. And, and Dinwiddie, specifically, we talked about it with Brian on uh, a previous buzz, the fact that when they're performing both of their best, we generally look awesome, you know, i.e. that Wizards game as well. And, you know, in this one, you know, it was basically a Jimmy Bu- Jimmy Bucket's dagger uh, that sort of nailed, uh, put the nail in the coffin. But uh, talk us through that play, Nick. Joe Harris was guarding him, I believe. Uh, well, Joe Harris was guarding the inbound on Ben Simmons. Then uh, Rondé was on defense, you know, on-ball defense, on Jimmy Butler. You know, Rondé did a solid job, forced Jimmy Butler to his right where he kind of hit that game winner against uh, the Hornets. You know, step back three, tough shot. He made it. You know, it's not like uh, RHJ was in bad position. Maybe he could have crowded him a little bit more. Then you risk the foul. The Nets are up at one at that point. There was 10 seconds left when the Sixers started to possession after the timeout. So, overall, I don't think the defense was bad. It was just a great player hitting a great shot. Yeah, and I think the video is already making the rounds of the comparison. When I saw the shot, like I watched the the mini notification on my phone, I'm like, it's like exactly the same as the Hornets game, and uh, that's what they got in there for. You know, the the Sixers on from their side of things, they're a notoriously non-ISO team when it comes down the stretch. You know, and that's generally what you want to do. You want to take the last shot, and when you have a guy like Jimmy Butler, man, he can just mail, m- make those shots down the stretch. Um, it, it'd be nice to see him in a Nets uniform uh, one day, but we'll we'll save that for another day. But Nick, the what was the cause of the breakdown? You know, we scored 30 points in the first, 36 in the second, 34 in the third, and then it all went downhill 23 in the last. Yeah, so, you know, during the first half of the game and the most of the third quarter, you know, the pick-and-roll defense by the Sixers was pretty terrible. You know, D'Angelo and Dinwiddie are getting whatever they want. You know, allowed D'Lo to really get his rhythm going, getting open mid-range shots, getting to the rim, getting inside. In the late third quarter and the fourth quarter, what they did is started trapping, doubling, you know, D'Angelo specifically off every pick-and-roll. They also did at Spencer a little bit too, just kind of taking the rhythm out of the Nets offense. They weren't able to get anything going. And then, you know, the lack of creators and, you know, playmakers on the Nets offense other than those two made it tougher for the offense to get going. And like I said, some of the other guys couldn't knock down open shots. They got a couple good looks for Joe Harris, just wasn't feeling it tonight. And I think they just couldn't capitalize. And you mentioned Jimmy Butler. Not only was he big knocking down the big shots, he just was very active defensively in that fourth quarter, getting on the ground for loose balls and everything. It's just like the Sixers wanted a little bit more in that fourth. Yeah, um, obviously Jimmy wasn't there the night where we sort of tore apart the Sixers. Uh, probably what was probably our best performance of the season. But um, I think the, the performance itself, if we hadn't got the win, it would have glossed over a lot of really sort of, you know, important issues uh, in terms of the negative side in the fact that, you know, we chatted a little bit before we started recording that the Nets' depth, while we see it as a weapon, it's not a weapon when you have your depth guys not showing up, be it Alan Crabb, be it, you know, Damari and Carroll, be it Jared Dudley. It doesn't give, like, those, we need, like, you know, Trevion Graham to get back. We should see, you know, more of Rodion's courts. What are your thoughts on those sentiments? Yeah, no, I agree, Jack. I think you need some consistency, especially for guys you're looking to knock down a three-point shot. I think the Nets need at least Joe Harris or Alan Crabb to be hot from three. One of those two to really have a chance. Obviously, Spencer was good tonight from deep, but still, you need some production. You know, Jared Dudley, I think at this point in time, like, it's not bad if he plays, you know, here and there a couple minutes, but... 
I rather see Rodion's. You know, Jared Dudley just doesn't have the energy. He's defensively, he tries to sell a lot of calls. He never gets them. So it just ends up being a foul on him or, you know, an easy bucket for the other team. There was one possession in the fourth quarter where Joel Embiid kind of just gave him a little shove where, you know, it could have been a foul call, but the refs aren't always going to call that. He ended up throwing the ball off the backboard and dunking himself. You know, you're looking for somebody to be a little bit more physical, a little bit more uh, toughness. Yeah, and I think, you know, all those sort of guys are wing slash forwards and those are the sort of spots where we could have used tonight against a guy like Jimmy Butler, who is... You know, use Karis Avert tonight. Karis Avert plays tonight, and that's definitely win this game. <laughs> I feel like we're going to be saying that quite a bit throughout the yeah. season. We're, we're up to, like, you know, episode 50-something, and by the time it's episode 100, we would have mentioned Karis Avert. <laughs> Man, we could have used Karis Avert tonight. But, um, Nick, what would have what could have helped us down the stretch? Could Dealer have made adjustments? Um, I'm sure... I, I went on Twitter, like, on my lunch break for, like, five minutes, my snack break, and Obviously, Coach Kenny gets plenty of the criticism, but um, what if you were in you know, Coach Kenny's shoes, if you were in Delo's shoes, what would you have done differently? Well, there was one other thing that was really strange I just want to mention before I move on, is Ed Davis was originally not called for a foul in the third I quarter. I saw that, yeah. yeah. And then in the fourth quarter, they said the foul was called on Davis in the third quarter, and then he ended up fouling out. We don't know if the Nets knew the exact call at the time. But it was a mistake by the refs, and they really didn't go over it well. And obviously not having Ed Davis in that fourth quarter, who did a solid job at Embiid, you know, with a couple fouls, obviously already having, you know, five or six, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I felt like they could have used him in that fourth quarter, and that really hurt. And then just obviously there was a couple of Joel Embiid travels that really didn't get called. There was one where he took four or five steps. It was pretty clear he dragged his foot. But, you know, two-minute reports is kind of the Nets thing. But uh, going over, you know, when the Sixers were on that 12-0 run, there's a lot of talk about Kenny needing to call the timeout. Honestly, I can see why you want him to call the timeout, but you also have to look at it that you kind of need to keep your timeouts for later in the game because if the Nets had one more timeout, well, you know, the inbound where Carroll couldn't get it in, they had to turn the ball over with 0.4 seconds left, you know, there's a chance that they can come up with a better play, run something different, reacting to what the Sixers set was out there. So I think timeouts are a little bit uh, more valuable than people are, you know, acting. But uh, I think D'Lo probably could have tried to be a little bit more aggressive. His teammates also could have done a better job of making sure he got open. And other guys just need to step up in that fourth quarter and just kind of do some of the things that they were doing throughout the game. Defensive energy drop in the fourth. Also, there was a couple stupid passes. You know, one pass specifically from uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson. He was in the post. He just, like, lobbed it over to Spencer Dinwiddie. It was an easy steal for the Sixers. Then Dinwiddie tried to throw a lob pass to somebody, and it was just way off. Like, some of these passes that are making the fourth quarter, it, you can tell it's a team that's just not used to being up. You know, we talked about closing out games being a big deal. The Nets in closing out games last year were down a couple points. This year they're up a couple points, and they still don't know really how to handle it. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of teams are going to exploit us uh, when it comes to like the better teams, the playoff ready teams. Whereas, you know, we've done it against, you know, the likes, the Wizards, the Cavs, and the Heat. We've sort of been able to give ourselves a little bit of a buffer because those teams don't really have the talent to sort of get back at us. Whereas you leave a team, you know, give them a sniff with that as Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Jimmy Butler, even JJ, ready to a lesser extent, then they're going to come at you. Uh, they're a really, really talented team. Um, you know, they've got plenty of sort of problems going forward in terms of their, you know, the market full situation and, and the like. But uh, if you, Nick, what was the the key sort of thing for you? For D'Angelo, 
did he need to be more aggressive? It seemed like I was seeing uh, things on Twitter and such that, you know, Coach Kenny isn't running enough plays for, for D'Lo. He's having to create his own shot. He's, he's just doing everything for himself. Why aren't we running plays for him? And there's all these plays for Joe Harris and Alan Crabb on the perimeter. Um, do you agree with those sort of opinions? I mean, I think you occasionally see a play for D'Angelo, but he has the ball in his hands a lot. You know, most of the game, the first three quarters before they started trapping him, you know, he was running the show. He was running pick and roll, doing what he wanted with the ball. I felt like maybe in the fourth quarter they could have called a play for him or something, but it's also just the other guys kind of stepping up. When they're trapping him like that, somebody's going to get an open shot or they're going to have open space to make a play, and I just feel like they didn't capitalize. I think maybe you could ask Spencer to try to set him up a little bit, but if the Sixers are sending that much, it was just a game where D'Angelo was hot. Like when you're facing a quote-unquote star player like D'Lo's not at that point yet, but like say you're facing, you know, like a James Harden or a Jimmy Butler or somebody, and they're just having a hot night, you're going to send more attention their way. And obviously the Nets weren't used to that, and D'Angelo probably wasn't used to that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and I think it was his best game as an F by far. You know, the fact that he was able to impact the game in, in a ridiculous amount of ways. Um, You know, we were obviously talking about with Brian about, you know, the dilemma with him and Spencer Dinwiddie going forward. But uh, I think D'Lo has this negative aura around him on not Nets Twitter, whereas the, the positive, the positivity that he gets from fans and people who actually watch him and, you know, sort of analyze Nets games is like almost overhyped to an extent. I know we might be, I know I am a person probably a little bit hard on him, but overall I, there, there is a middle ground. And I think we all need to realize that, that, He's going to have these sort of nights and we expect to see these dominant games more consistently. But we also expect to see, like I mentioned with Brian on, on the previous buzz, not those sort of like, you know, two-point performances, you know, one of 13 from the field, those sort of things. Because a lot of fans will be like, well, why isn't he seeing the court time? And like you and Brian said, if he's not being efficient, then he doesn't deserve to see, the, to see playing time. So I think D'Lo, hopefully this is a springboard for him going forward, you know, learning to sort of, you know, be able to, to, to counteract what an opposing defense is giving to him as well and sort of looking for his open teammates in that sort of sense. But, you know, this should be a nice springboard for him heading into the Jazz game. Yeah, I mean, it definitely should be a confidence booster. You know, we had some concern oh, in the Minnesota game, you know, him not being able to really get to the rim or break down his defender. He did a good job of that tonight. Obviously, some of it was a pick-and-roll defense from the Sixers. But he had, you know, worked uh, Jimmy Butler a few times, worked Wilson Chandler, worked Ben Simmons. You know, there's all some solid defenders in Philadelphia. And I felt like this should give him more confidence to stay in attack mode. You know, right from the start, you could tell he was in attack mode. Maybe the only negative you could say is maybe he should have looked to, you know, uh, hit up his teammates a little bit more in that second half when they started doubling. But some of that's on his teammates for just not making shots because I'd be interested to see how many missed shots there were in that fourth quarter where he was kind of hitting open guys. Yeah, definitely. You know, Dealer, you know, eight assists, it could have easily been a 38-point triple-double. Um, it was pretty but, close, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's ridiculous to even think about it. And tell me about Spencer doing his game, Nick. I mean, every time I see him play, I'm just like, attack, attack. And it's just like he does it. Whereas a lot of the times in the past, and I think some of the messages are getting through to him that, like, you know, we sort of want him, you know, that Minnesota game that you talked about where he took that three over uh, Carl Anthony Towns and sort of, you know, he was, that's not the play that they wanted. But, you know, Spencer Dillman has made that shot before. But he's just, you know, attacking at will. And it's just, it's wonderful to watch. 
Yeah, he really worked on, I want to say, his layup package going into the season because he's come out with a lot more creativity, a lot of different moves going to the rim. He seems more comfortable, and like you said, Jack, he's staying aggressive. He's confident in breaking down almost any NBA defender out there, and if he has a big on him, he's feeling good like he's going to get to the rim. I mean, he had a poster tonight on Mike Muscala, and it's not, you know, like yeah. we're not used to seeing Spencer Dinwiddie posters, but that was a legit poster, and there was a couple times where he probably didn't get the foul call. You know, like we've said before, the refs kind of hate him. But if he can keep staying aggressive, I mean, 31 points on 11 of 15 from the field. Talk about efficiency. Yeah, that's exactly what we want from him. And, you know, six six free throw attempts as well. I think what the goal should be for D'Lo and Spencer is to have 10 free throw attempts at least per game. Whether that's, you know, D'Lo having a night where he gets four or five. It's not in his nature to do it, but I want to see at least four plus from him. And I'm going to probably be keeping an eye on that. Spencer, we know, doesn't probably get the calls that he deserves a lot of the time. But the efficiency that he's shown, you know, I think... When I tagged him in um, one of the videos where I was doing a, a sort of Twitter breakdown and a bit of a thread, and he tagged his coaches, and I think maybe one of his personal coaches, one of the Nets coaches as well, it sort of shows he's like, look, these I'm getting the kudos that I deserve because I've been working on this shit. And it's just like, he's almost unguardable down once he gets like, you know, a, an open lane. and He gets you know, one he, step on you, he feels good. And it's it's him and Karras. That's why it's, it's, it's such a shame that we lost Karras because... They allow, you know, open lanes for a guy like D'Lo where he can hit those mid-range shots, those teardrops, and he's three-pointer, which has looked a lot better this season as well. Um, but I think Spencer is continuing to prove where would he be for you right now, Nick, if we're ending the season right now in the sixth man of the year? Is it him and Lou Will? I think you might give it to Spencer right now. I mean, he's he's had the moments. He's had the big opportunities. You know, he's hit game winners, a 30-point game. He had another big game against Washington. I think he'd be right there. You know, he'd be right there at number one. The lowest, I think you put him as number three. Yeah, and I'm not sure if the listeners have heard, but um, I, I did do an article for NetsRepublic.com. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to keep shouting it out. You know what? I'm going to keep shouting it out. Yeah, September no, you 1st. do it, Jack. September 1st, guys. It was months ago, before the season, and, um, you know, it was predictive somewhat but uh again i'm gonna throw myself down i was also a person who predicted for OG basketball that the wizard would finish third so uh we will move on uh, but spencer... <laughs> i will give spencer some credit too in the first half he did a great job chasing jj reddick around screens and really giving him you know out of rhythm in that second half there was a play where ed davis fouled jj reddick and he got three free throws and that ended up kind of getting him going you know and then there was a couple of switches off but i think uh, overall then we did a pretty good job chasing jj all day yeah, it's uh, probably one of the hardest jobs in the NBA to sort of defend a guy like JJ Redick who is moving nonstop. You know, I'd love to see his tracking numbers at this point of the season, but and even over the last two seasons, he's just an absolute dynamo when it comes to getting, you know, on ball and off ball screens. But Nick, what are some uh, adjustments that need to be made uh, heading into uh, a bit of a nice home stretch, but against a pretty tough competition in the Jazz and Grizzlies? Yeah, I mean, uh, this game turnovers weren't too bad, sixteen to nine. I mean, you'd like to cut that down a touch, but they did pick up the pace, which I like to see, especially D'Angelo kind of pushed the pace a little bit more than usual today. I think defensive effort needs to be more consistent. You know, obviously in that first half, some of it was the Sixers missing shots, but defensive energy and toughness was a lot better in that first half. They made the Sixers really work for everything, and they kind of disrupted their offense. Obviously, if you're letting a team score 38, uh, 38 points in the fourth quarter, that's not the case. And also, I think, you know, other guys just stepping up. As good as Spencer and D'Lo can be, you know, you still need other wings and other players in this team to really knock down shots and continue to space the floor, especially when they're sending doubles at guys. And that's about it. I mean, the, overall, this wasn't a terrible game. The defensive energy just kind of died in that second half. And also, like we said, they just have star players that 
you know, that are just mismatches for us. There's nobody on our team that can really defend Joel Embiid. There's not many guys in the NBA. And Jimmy Butler, when he wants to win a game in the fourth quarter, he's just going to hit tough shots. Yeah, those guys are nigh on unguardable. And the star players are. And hopefully the Nets get one of those guys soon or one of our guys develops into that or we get one in the draft. But Nick, uh, predictions against the Jazz. This is a team that's been you know very up and down and the Grizzlies. So we have a homestand, you know, a, a pretty nice homestand after we've been on the road quite a bit. A couple of days off gives us some time to reset. Uh, do you think we get the W? Yeah, I think they need to get the W against the Jazz, especially after, you know, a game where they played pretty well. You could see the energy bounce back after the Timbos game where they really didn't have energy. And I don't think Utah has been great on the road this year. I mean, their season hasn't been good in general. Uh, Utah, actually, they're decent on the road, 7-6, and six, so never, scratch that. But, yeah. uh, but uh, I feel like, you know, they have a chance to win this game. It's not like Utah offensively is putting up a ton of points. And defensively, you know, they, they are still good. But the Nets have had no issue really scoring this year. It's been defensively. And if a team is kind of stagnant already, just don't let them kind of have easy shots. Yeah, for us being like a top 10 offensive rating team against the Jazz who have had their struggles defensively, I think we just need to stick true to what our offensive schemes are. And sort of like you sort of said, turned up that uh, defensive energy. But guys, Nick, thank you as always. And guys, you know where to find us. Nick, you do it because I'm not. I'm no good at it. You probably got it written down, or you've got it embedded in your long-term memory. Yeah, I have it embedded in my head. Uh, so you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, and YouTube. As always, thank everybody for listening, and a pleasure, Jack. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.